Hello and welcome back to another episode. Today we're joined with Pastor Ben Amoa from the La Sierra University Church. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Awesome. And so thanks so much for being on the show. I know we've crossed paths many times back in Canada. And then you moved far, far south to the sunny state of California. <laughs> yep, yep. Away from all the snow and free healthcare, but we <laughs> yeah, won't hold that right. against you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I only miss one of those two. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for joining. Um, a bit of your background, as I could remember, you're from Eastern Canada. You had mentioned, I know previously you were from, grew up in it wasn't Toronto, it was Ottawa. That's right, yeah. I know Americans always think Toronto is the capital, but Ottawa is the actual capital. Exactly. You got to let them know. You got to let them know. <laughs> yeah, got to teach. You went to Berman University. That's right. Right, where you did your theology training, and then you came and were around here in Vancouver for a little bit, chaplain at one of the Adventist schools where we got to interact at various things. Mm-hmm. Married a lovely teacher. And then y'all went down to La Sierra together. That's right. That's right. Yep. Is that yeah. that's the, all the high points of your your background? That is the high points. <laughs> that's point. And I, and I got the pleasure also to work at Church in the Valley while I was there as chaplain. I was the youth and young adult pastor uh, while I was chaplain at the same time, especially my last year specifically. Um, and so yeah, I, mad love for Canada. That's where that's the place that created us. Me, my my wife and I, my wife Calmini. And I and uh, Calmini got to teach at La Sierra. I mean, at Fraser Valley Academy, Evans Academy. And so, yeah, many memories, great memories. Um, a life that we lived there and also amazing uh, young people that we got to do life with. So in your role as a pastor, as you were building into this cultural diversity, what was it like? What, what is your diversity? Obviously, this mm-hmm. is just audio. So how would you say this is who I am? And what was yeah. that like growing up? Because I've never been to Ottawa yet. Mm-hmm. So is Eastern Canada a good place to grow up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a good, is it a good place to grow up? Wow, that's a <laughs> loaded question. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm Black Canadian, African Canadian. Um, my, my parents are from Ghana, and um, I'm Ganyan. And so I grew up, actually, the first time I went to Ghana was legit last year, um, August, wow. in my life. Um, and in fact, I'm going again this Christmas. Um, but... Um, the way my mom raised my brother and I was, we were very in the culture of, of Ghana, even though we were in Ottawa in our apartment. Um, the food we ate, um, the uncles and aunties that we knew that weren't really blood related, but they were uncles and aunties. Or when we travel, cause in, in, um, Toronto, there's a Ganyan SDA church. And so, um, my cousins all went there. My, I have, cause my mom's sister lives in Toronto. So we would go to Toronto often. And so being around Ganyans was just also a key part of my life. And so I always knew, uh, being um, from Ghana, I knew that even though I'd never been there, the culture was in my day to day life and Ottawa. Uh, I feel like I was lucky to go to, uh, I say lucky because I guess it allowed me to be confident in, in my skin. Um, because I was, I went to a church that was mainly a black church. So the uh, pastor was black. Um, uh, all the pastors were black. We had one pastor who was white, um, but his wife was mixed. And so, um, like, yeah, we, we had, I had black pastors growing up. Um, my church friends were black. Um, and so I was in a space where I got every week, I knew I'd go to a place where people looked like me. Yet in the education system, though, I didn't go to academy. 
or anything ever. I didn't go to SA school until I got to university. Um, my schools were mainly white. I was also fortunate enough when I got to middle school and I moved to the suburbs, actually, which was strange. Um, I moved to the suburbs and then I actually did life with more black people. And so um, it was, and I think that's, I, that's a stereotype that that would be the opposite, but I was lucky yeah. to find circles um, where people who looked like me and those were my friends. And um, that was my circle in middle school. And then also going forward into, into high school, um, that was the people that I got to be with and do life with. And so I was lucky to always be confident in who I was, though we were surrounded by white people and surrounded by people who um, look different than us. And so learning to navigate that culture was a reality. Um, my closest friends and my closest people were people who look like me. Yeah. So with that church setting, did you, were you growing up thinking that, you know, Adventism was a white church, but you happen to be a black church or was it a feeling of, Hey, this denomination, this church group I am part of is more diverse and I have a place in it. So, Cause that's very yeah, interesting because here in Western Canada, we have, it's all Asian based or white churches. That's right. Yeah. And I know my wife is from Toronto and she's mentioned um, that they actually have a campaign in Toronto to get more white people in church, which is very interesting compared to, you no, know, that's the difference between East and West Canada, apparently. So what that's... kind of feel, what kind of feeling did you grow up with the diversity of the church in that setting? Yeah, that's a good point. I actually had never thought about it, you know? Um, Growing up in a black church and then traveling whenever I go visit family in Toronto, I was in a Ganyan or black church again. Um, I kind of assumed adventures were black for yeah. the most part. <laughs> and so I was shocked. And like, so this is what I was like. I, but I didn't think that like um, we were missing anything. <laughs> I just felt like this is the church because every other area was, I was surrounded by white people, right? So I was like, oh, this is nice. It's like a haven, right? Um, it's a place where you get to come and everyone is black. The aunties, the elders, deacons, everyone's black. Our Sabbath school teachers, right? Um, and so that was the place um, where I'd go. And that's why I was such a shocked when I moved out west for school because I never planned to go to, like going to Berman was a last minute choice. And then I went out there and I was like, whoa, this eventism looks different. Like it yeah. was the music that we sang. Like everything was a stuck. My first Vespers at Berman um, when it was called CUC, like I was like jaw dropped. Like I couldn't believe the songs that we were singing. It sounded so different. Yeah. I had never seen, I'd only seen worship led by guitar like four times in my entire life. And I was wow. shocked. I was straight up shocked. <laughs> and so I was like, what? Um, and so that was just a reality. Um, I just didn't think anything of it. I just thought like, yeah, oh, Adventism is mainly black. Um, and I remember bringing some, cause I mean, I said like my closest friends were black were mixed, um, but I also had like a few really, really close friends who were white. Um, and uh, I would bring them to church too. And I remember kind of feeling like I had to kind of pretend some a little bit like, hey, it's a little different. It might be different than what you expect. Like people are going to respond when you hear like the pastor, you're going to hear someone say like, mercy or something like that. Right. Yeah. As I, I remember I could kind of pretending them, but um, I felt like I was bringing them into black spaces. Yeah. So w what else would be a black space thing? So you got the responsiveness to the preacher, which I have to admit, I'm not prepared for. There's a few times when I've preached and there was a black lady who's saying, amen. And just, and I'm just like white boy preacher, not attuned to people <laughs> responding. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I remember that happening. So what else did you have to prep them for? I'll tell them about that. Um, 
that the sermon could go on for a time and like, don't worry about how long it goes, right? Like <laughs> it's going to go, um, or we're going to be moving at a pace that like the service is going to go long. Um, and so <laughs> it's just so funny. Like, um, yeah, to know that and also potluck was a thing. And so, and to eat everything, right. And eat the food. Um, it spicy and so food? It, well, it wasn't even spicy, um, uh. but they would have like hot sauce on the back, but like, um, I would tell them like, like eat it all. Like don't like not eat it. It's gonna be like rude. If <laughs> you don't uh, eat the food, you know? And so I like that those are the things I try to tell them. And also like kind of like letting them know this sounds weird, but like hugging people. Like people are gonna hug you. Nice. Like and so, you know, uh that's just a reality. And so yeah, those are a few things I have to prep them before bringing them to church. Sounds like a lovely, lovely church. <laughs> yeah, it was beautiful. <laughs> so then your shock wasn't necessarily growing up because you you had this community that echoed very beautifully your culture. So your shock came to CUC or now Berman, which is in Alberta, yeah. which is like the Texas of Canada. Midwest. Midwest. Yeah. yeah West, West. <laughs> right. Super, oh, yeah. Except it's super cold. So what else kind of shocked you? Because Berman, I find... Ha- no, from the view when I was there, it seemed to me like it had a lot of diversity. Yeah. Because I think you were only a year or two removed from when I was there. Yeah. So what was shocking and how did you process that? Yeah. And so that, it was definitely um, beautiful that Berman does have diversity and it still does. Um, and and um, I would say maybe because we never navigated switching back and forth growing up in my church, where it's like different praise teams. Right? I just went to a black church, but Berman, because of the diversity, I could tell like sometimes we would have, I mean, even at the time, like the lead pastor was white. Our chaplain was white. Um, our associate chaplain wasn't, our associate chaplain was, was black. Um, but like the leadership and the professors, we had one black professor um, in the religion, in the div school. Um, I think there was two black science professors still seeing that. Um, and in our worship though, like seeing stuff like guitar worship when, when I came on Sabbath and I remember it was a big thing. Cause all me and all my friends from Toronto or Montreal, Ontario, we get dressed up on Saturday, right? Like, cause that's just how we went to church, like full dress, like you wear clothes. And I started realizing people would come to church, like wearing like a button up or, you know, and I was like, huh? Like, this is so different. Like, I remember <laughs> I had my pocket square with the, um, you know, with my tie and then with a boutonniere, something like that on me. And like, that was like the fit. And as I realized time went, like I had to, I started dressing differently. Um, and so the dress was different. How church would end in an hour was different, yeah. you know? Um, and those were things that like, yeah, church sounds different. Um, doing guitar worship. And I never saw a cajon ever in my life until I came out West. I had never seen a cajon before in my life. So what kind of, instruments drum, did your full-on drum set just drum oh, set wow. keys organ bass that's the only wow. instruments i saw in church growing up um I, I remember there was a big controversy at berman where they did a drum line for a church and it blew up on facebook i don't know if you remember that if you were there for that but they did a whole church service it was more african style with the drums and it was i loved it but the comment section on Facebook got to like 500 comments. People were arguing that, you know, of course, drums are evil. Mercy. And, yeah. And, I, and it was quite the controversy. Like the university had to officially respond to it. Everyone seemed to have an opinion. It's like, guys, like 
just music and it's really good music. Like, why is this such a thing? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and the, I mean, I'm not even trying to jump ahead in our convo, but that's the importance of representation, the importance of, because what some people might call devilish is what is holy to people. Yeah. Right. And, and, that, and, and, and the reality is that is actually just comes down to culture. Right. Um, and I'm not going to play like, I know for a fact, my mom as an African woman, she had, she was anti-drums. She is anti-drums. Like she is. Right. Um, but let me then again to being like a young black kid growing up, drums is like, that's what I hear in all my music. And so there was a conflict of like, old and new in our church of like drums uh, drums in our church even as a black church um but um but that was different than coming to a place where people felt like drums was evil because it's evil um and, and like it was like white people saying that and that felt yeah. different um because it was like it, i feel like they're also just shooting down what is culture to a generation of black people now right it was different yeah, to take a preference and then move it into evil or non-evil space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason I enjoy doing this podcast is we we so easily label something that is very meaningful to somebody else in the case exactly. of a cultural drum or cultural dress. Because, you know, when you put on your your cultural, especially when you got married, you look really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but can we recognize that? Like, I got married to a Filipino woman and I wore the Filipino barong, of course. Barong, yeah. Right? That her parents had bought me. It's, you know, pineapple. It's like, that was really awesome to be part of that. I think that's the beauty of culture. Mm-hmm. But we can push it aside so easily, especially if we don't have it. You know, drums are this, that is this. Because I remember one of our conversations, too, was on your wedding day, you and your groomsmen got pulled over by the police. Right. It was uh, it was my groomsmen when they were going back home after the wedding. Oh, the after room. the wedding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I remember talking, and you're like, you weren't speeding, you weren't doing anything. And I think that was a kind of a shock to me that those things still happen. And I thought Canada was so mm-hmm. pure, but I guess not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. It was such a terrible reality. Um, and like they were legit. They were shocked. Like, how could this have happened? Well, actually, it, I shouldn't say they were shocked. It was just disappointed because there isn't necessarily a shock because it, this is a reality, but it was uh, like just like such a disappointment and such a um, terrible feeling when you have to face like the reality of things that like you wish weren't so. Yeah. Yeah. So now that you've grew up in an amazing church, kind of got through the shock of CUC, now you're down in California. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And another university. So, now that you're in the leadership position, do you play guitar? Are you? Do I play guitar. <laughs> I, I think um, I don't. I'm one of those youth pastors that can't play guitar, which is a rare breed. Um, but I do like. I love music, um, and I have fun galvanizing the kids to do worship. But that's not my skill. Uh, I have. It's funny as you say that. I'm looking at my office, and I have a guitar up on my wall, but it's my wife's. Um, and. Uh, <laughs> Um, and I'd actually Pastor Jim, Jim Gall, who was a chaplain before me at Fraser Valley Events Academy. Um, he was, uh, he gave me a guitar and I've tried to learn it sometimes just because I want to contribute to music. But then again, it doesn't feel right in my hands. I'm not good. Um, but, um, I do want to learn keys and that's something I think I, I have to, I have the capacity to learn if I push myself. <laughs> 
So what what is it like now being in the position of leadership? Because what is the diversity like in your setting? Do you have a predominantly one background of youth you work with? And we mm-hmm. talked to Pastor Icky, who's also part of that church, and he spoke about being himself and what it's like. So do you feel like you have to hold back? Do you get to be fully who you are, bring in the drums, talk about how great Canada is, all the things that it's your background? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to be in the space I'm in. Now, it's something really interesting is that my, I'd say the demographic of our church is multi-ethnic, um, but being multi-ethnic, it is mainly, if anything, the ethnicities, when I think of my youth group, when I look out to see them, it's mainly uh, Hispanic, Filipino, um, um, we have Polynesian and then, and, and white, I think we have like a few kids who are half black, right. Um, um, very small group of, uh, of, there's not many people who look like me is what I'm saying, right. At the yeah. end of the day. Um, and, but I think that it is still different for, it means something for them to see a leader who isn't just a white dude. Um, um, I think that is something for anyone who's a minority, seeing that there isn't just a majority culture that's always leading them. It, it means something to all, to all minorities. Um, and so that's something that I, I'm, I'm blessed. I get to allow, I'm allowed to be myself and navigate that in being who I am and, um, being a, a, a being in a black body and, and embracing that. I never have to shy away and I never have to feel like I have to change my voice or something like that. Um, with my youth group here at La Sierra University Church. Uh, I'm so thankful for that. And having a lead like Icky, who though isn't black, is 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 dark skinned, right? And yeah. um and being who he is and his boldness allows me to continue to be bold as well. Um our team is just is a diverse group. Um and yeah, I just I've been so thankful. I never have to shy away from anything of who I am. And I think that's something that I'm thankful when I was in BC, uh, the kids embraced me who, and we, I had a, a lot of black students at lost at, uh, Fraser Valley, um, who I got to do life with. Um, and I think that was also important. Um, it is hard when we, when we do life with younger people and they don't get to see people who look like them. Um, because when you don't see people who look like you, you instantly start imagining that that's not a position, a thing that you can do yourself. Yeah. Um, I think me being a pastor now is because my pastors were black. Um, and I had a, and also another pastor who I had was Polynesian and a Filipino pastor who, who were people who continued like they're the reason because I saw them doing that. I felt like I could do it or other people could like seeing pastor Elizabeth Poule and pastor Orlando Poule, um, who are now at college Heights in Alberta at, at, at Berman. Uh, they're the lead, lead pastors there. Um, and, like seeing them and seeing Pastor Liz, I never saw a, a woman in ministry until Pastor Liz was my pastor and she was just wonderful. And I think because of that and seeing that representation and seeing her excellence, and I, whether or not, whether or not she was excellent or not, she did the thing and she was amazing at it. Um, I, that's what allowed me to, when I moved and started entering ministry and realizing, because growing up in my church, we didn't even talk about woman or nation. That's not, a, that's not a thing in Canada. Right. But also, um, I never realized because that's just not a concept that like people are arguing for. And so I didn't even know that was a thing that people weren't. But then when I realized that I felt so, like I had to be such an advocate because my pastor who pastored me and taught me ev- so many things I know was a woman. And so 
that representation allows us, one, to be advocates and also to feel safe to pursue things if we resemble what we see. And so in our churches, in our academies, are your teachers, are our teachers um, diverse? Are our principals diverse, right? Um, and the thing is, and I, I realize it's like, it even goes beyond like, if you have that one teacher or one chaplain, right? But then like when you zoom out even more, it's like, at the end of the day, what are the conference presidents like? What are the... Um, yeah the ministerials what do they look like what do the people in even more power look like because even if our intimate group might have diversity we still can't forget the subconscious of of accepting that when we zoom out still the people in power don't look like me and so yes maybe i can be a pastor but maybe i'll never be conference president or yes i'll be i can be a pastor or i can be a teacher but i can never be a principal because they'll never like you know and so yeah inclusivity and diversity is so key for our young people growing up because they need to know that they can do it no matter what they look like, no matter who they are um, and be empowered to do so. Yeah. Cause that's, that's the joke when it comes to conference in these higher leadership positions is, Oh, it's the old boys club. Right. And that usually exactly. means the old white boys club. And yeah, that's part of the thinking about this is we can do so many cool movements, but ultimately you have a boss who has a boss who has a boss and that controls some of the cultural space that still happens, right? Sure. Like if you took your your drums to a conference president that didn't understand that cultural importance, that can cause some issues. And it was quite interesting in my graduate school, which is a non-Adventist Christian seminary, one of the ladies who she's from um, Hawaii brought up how diverse Adventism is. Right, because we are statistically the mo- one of the most diverse denominations. And then I clarified, I'm like, yeah, it looks good on paper, but when you focus in, you have a black church here, a white church there. Like that was my point that I brought to her presentation: is we look good on this scope, but when you narrow it down to interactions to who's actually leading the conferences or dioceses, as some churches call them, it, it evaporates. Right, we still have the white leadership, we still don't recognize women can do ministry, even though our church was partly started by a woman, right? Like, and these are some of the holdups I've been trying to investigate and the advocacy that, you know, we need to bring. Because I know you and I talked a lot about during the the Black Lives Matter movement as well. And I was wondering, um, what was that like being a black guy during that season working in our church or you were yeah. uh, the chaplain at the, at the Adventist school at that time. I, believe. Uh, I was, I was, I was at both, you okay. know? Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of how to say this in the, in, in the best way possible. Um, but also being honest, I think <laughs> being a, being a black person, uh, being a black man, I have to recognize that my settings don't often look like me, especially once I left like my church outside of my church that I came to every week, um, up until I was 18, right? After that, I've never been in a black church since, right? Um, and so now this is 10 years, this is 10 years later of never going to a black church as, as a regular attendee again, because of Alberta, because of, uh, Lower Mainland BC, and then now SoCal. Um, and, um, I've realized and I recognized quickly, especially when, um, black lives matter 
when George Floyd was killed, I should say, um, people had seen me as a pastor, um, but they didn't recognize me holistically as a black pastor. Um, and that's an interesting, and that's an interesting thing because I think, I think sometimes people like try and say the thing of like, oh, I don't see color or like, that's a classic yeah. thing and stuff like that. And they think that means something that's meaningful, but that's like such a silly thing because as a gift of God, we're diverse, right? And that is a God given holy concept that we're diverse. And so not seeing the diversity that God has created in each and every one of us is actually a neglect of the Holy one, right? Like that is what God does. God has created us to be diverse. And so not recognizing me as a black pastor, um, and maybe that was them trying to do something that was positive. Um, right. But then when I was offended and hurt by the things I was seeing that was happening, people who looked like me, who are me, right. Um, I think they were shocked that I was offended or that I would speak up to those things. Um, and maybe they thought they were, yeah, it was a positive thing. You know, like we just saw Ben as a pastor who, who cared about our kids. And that's true as well as I'm a black man mm -hmm. and I'm from Ghana and I'm, and, and I grew up in a black church and those things are, this is like, I, I know who I am. And so it hurts when I see people getting killed that look like me. It hurts when I see uh, people who are going, or when I think back to experiences that I had of microaggressions and things that happen. And, and it hurts when I see that replicated in our, in our spaces that are supposed to be safe spaces as churches and as academies. How, how, like, those are the places that need to be the safest, where we have pastors and leaders and elders and deacons, um, where we have a chaplain on campus every day. Those places need to be the safest, not just physically, well, it better be physically safe, um, but as well as like emotionally and spiritually and, um, you know, like, and, and so it's hard, like when we don't prioritize those things. And so when all that happened, I think that was a, a crazy awakening to see that like our Christianity has allowed or the, our version of Christianity that we kept in, 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 I don't want to speak for a whole nation, but I also don't want to speak just for one, one group, but I just think like the human reality of the reality of humanity that we can be a part of an organization organization christianity or adventism um that is christ-centered and yet not prioritize people mm -hmm. um and, and and that's really and it's really heartbreaking um uh, and i think that's just a reality it's not even like these people are evil or no one's evil i think it's just this is our human thing like we can have a cognitive dissonance uh, between being christian and following the sacraments or the 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 flow on the traditions and also never really care about all people at all times especially and and when i say all people i mean the people who require the most attention when there's crisis you know uh because then the like when i think about the combat being all lives matter was so strange because it's like why like why do people have to fight to not care yeah about a group of people that are crying like why is that why would that ever be your drive to be like, I need to fight against people to be like, I know, I don't care about this. Or like, let's not focus on something like, wait, what? Yeah. And, and, it, and it sounds like, <laughs> it sounds crazy to me as I even, I repeat it. But then again, like, this is this the way people, you know, this is the way humans have to battle. And I think that's why it's so essential for us to look at Jesus and the things Jesus did and not the, just the idea of Jesus, which is super important, but also like the practicalness of Jesus who did care about social justice, who did care about humans everywhere, the people who were marginalized, the people who were being oppressed, is who Jesus stood up for. Um, and so our churches and our schools need to be places that emulate that. 
Um, so when there's people in our school that are black, when there's people in our school that are minorities, when there's people in our school that are queer, like we need to look out for them and love on them. Um, because at the time, this is the people who Jesus would be trying to stand up for, um, beyond, beyond the two groups I just listed, but anyone who would be oppressed and marginalized are the people that Jesus did, stood up for and walked with and made sure they felt safe first. Um, and it's not a disregard to the, the value of other people. It's just the importance of bringing up to people who have been neglected their value. I think that's the, that's the hard part. Um, so that was a long, that was a long, uh, <laughs> I did, I went on a long little loop there, but, um, it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's the, and I think that's the message that often needs to be reminded. And I like, I really like how you mention it because it can so easily slide out of pe- people aren't hateful towards blacks, but they can be reductionist to think, well, you're just like me. I have a good life. Therefore, you have a good life. Be quiet. I think yeah. that's what I've really noticed is people, people look at themselves, usually the white version of things and say, well, it's fine. Like I've never been pulled over by a cop. Why are you complaining there, Mr. Ben? Right. Mm-hmm. Or no, oh, I don't really care about drums. Why is that such a big deal to you? And I think that's the part that really I've seen over and over is I look at myself first and realize it's been good for me. Why isn't it? Why, why are you complaining? That's right. And I think I wonder if that's part of, like you mentioned, the all lives matter movement piece coming against black lives matter. Cause it's not, it was never black lives matter more. It's black lives matter just as much. Yes. Yes. But that, that reduction of, well, I'm good. Or like you mentioned too, like, you might have been reduced to just a pastor, but your blackness, your cultural background, that part wasn't important because you're serving my child at this school or this church. And I think that's the piece I keep bumping against in all these interviews and just in my you know interactions is we reduce to ourselves. Yeah. And I, and I think that's the big piece we have to undo is I don't know what it's like growing up in Ottawa or being from, you know, an African um, subcontinent piece there, or I should say subculture, sorry. But I shouldn't reduce you to me, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's the piece that really can be hard to overcome because it takes work, it takes efforts, takes training, takes genuine friendships. And it really takes, you have to come out of your own self. 100%. I think it, it re- the, the scary, the scariest part about it all um, beyond closeness, like one of the ways is like, we can only do it by being close. Yeah. Right. Um, I, well, I shouldn't say that we can only, it becomes easier for us to be more human when we're close to other humans. Um, we shouldn't have to just be close so that we can love people. Right. But this is what makes it easier for us. Um, and, and along that way of us seeing humans as humans, seeing uh, people as God sees people, right? When we think of the story of Samuel trying to choose like, you know, um, David and like God says, like, I don't look at outward appearances, but to see humans, all humans in a way, again, that doesn't take away from their culture and who they are and their diversity, but to see people all as God created beings and, and beings who deserve to be loved and respected at all times, no matter how they identify themselves. Um, one of the parts about doing that is repenting. And I think that's the difficult part, bro. Like looking back at all the things that you thought, things that you said, the things that you joked about, um, the things that you like around one crowd, you felt like I can drop this joke or take this comment. You have to repent for that. And I think that's the part because we never want to be the villain. 
No. Right? We don't, we, I don't want to be the villain that once made um, jokes about queer, the queer community, right? Um, but like, you have to repent about that. And that's okay because maybe at a time you grew up in a society and culture that allowed for that, right? Even though they shouldn't have. Like that's was my that's my life. Like, and that's the thing I you talk about this so important. Like, I think I talk about this and I need to and I'm and I try to be bold about it because I grew up in a society that was so homophobic, right? Mm-hmm. And like that was just the two thousands, right? And yeah. like that people and like it was natural. Like when you watch movies from back then, it's like, whoa, like how did people make jokes like this and talk like this? And so that's how I spoke too, right? And and learning to sit like in my journey of just constantly trying to be affirming and calling, trying to create safe places for all people. I had to face myself. I was like making terrible jokes and saying harmful things because like, that's what society allowed me to think. And I'm, I'm disturbed about that, Ben. Right. And that's not who I am now, but I also had to face like, I'm so sorry, like not even saying it to a person, but like saying like to myself and to God, like, God, I'm sorry for like looking at humans that you created and thinking that like, I could just insult them behind their backs and stuff. Uh, and that's part of it. Whether you're the people that you struggle to love or to care about in the way that they're crying out to be cared about is black people, is our Asian people, are um, certain groups, queer, the queer community. It's like we have to repent about things that we did so that we can continue to love. But I think, yeah, well, no one wants to be a villain. And so it's easier just to continue to find the things that affirm your thoughts and just continue to uh, demonize and uh, criminalize and... Um, continue to marginalize certain people so that you can get away and be like, I'm justified. I thought this for a reason because of these things. You're like, yeah. man, just like own up. Like it was bad. Okay. Like just like, own up, love people. And it's okay. You said some messed up stuff and you heard, some, you thought some messed up stuff. Um, and it's, it was messed up, but like, let's move on so that we can love more. Yeah. It's coming back in that growing maturity piece. I recognize too, uh, middle school, Kevin, did all the that's so gay jokes and yeah and then when my best friend came out of the closet and i realized you know this is somebody i love and i need to understand who he is fully i think that's part of it as well we we have to recognize and see people wholly and holistically not just a title of pastor or the divorce guy that i went through or this or that it's the hello hello ah the wholeness of who you are but it takes time and effort And I think that's what's so powerful about what you've been saying is you get to speak to that. I know we've joked about some of uh, the ideas for your sermons about (laughs) using certain phrases and like, oh, you should totally drop this. And yeah, yeah. right. And it's graciously bringing people to a bigger understanding that, you know, to love Ben is to see him as, see you as a pastor, but to also see you as uh, Guyan, Guyanan, Ganyan, Ganyan. See, my bad pronunciation. But it's to see you with all your hopes and dreams. It's to see you with the way you've forgiven and grown um, from yourself. It's to recognize that, you know, is it bad to ask if your favorite sport is basketball? Yeah, Yeah, you know, rugby is my number one sport. And uh, yeah, like it's like those things is like, yeah, like there's all these interests. There's so much more to us. And we should be celebrated for our diversity and not neglected. And exactly like you said, to not be reduced either. Thanks again for listening to this episode of our podcast. 
As we end, I would like to acknowledge that these conversations are recorded on the ancestral and unceded territory of the Stolo Nation. With a big special thanks to our executive producer, Alexander Carpenter, our editor, Bryce Hallock, and to our creative team. We have Brittany May with logo design and Jared Jameson on audio. Also, a big shout out to our Spectrum friends over in New York City for their continued support of this program. Thanks.